or what defines you. Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of the First Sunday of Epiphany, January 9th, 2022 from Christchurch, Jerusalem. Although we may struggle with some questions that the baptism of Jesus raises, his experience at the Jordan River does have an obvious and powerful life-giving message. Our obsessive search for meaning and identity today is often done in the most harmful ways imaginable. Instead, Reverend David Pelegi reminds us, each one of us needs to hear our Father's voice saying, You are my beloved child, and then respond. Let us begin with the lectionary readings. Our first reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says the creator of heavens, who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. These are the words of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah. The next reading is from Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. 
The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. We stand for reading the gospel. The Holy Gospel. This year comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, starting in verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Here's the best part. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old, and he began, when he began his ministry, he was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. This is the word of the Lord, or the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Can I ask if you came in late and you missed the announcement, or you just forgot, but if you do have, no, I won't say if, if you, everyone has, a, everyone has a phone. Some of you might have two or three. Yes, please put your phones on silent. We'd be very grateful to do so. So, this is a, um, as I mentioned to you earlier, this is the feast of, um, well, we're in the season of Epiphany. And Epiphany is that season between Christmas and Ash Wednesday. Yes. And it is a season in which uh, we remember, you might even say relive, yes, the revelation of Jesus First is revelation to Gentiles, so, uh, with the, the visit of the Magi, is revelation to the people of Israel. And we begin to glimpse not only his glory, but we also, I think, enter into a, uh, a time in the ministry of Jesus where it's very exciting where people are full of uh, anticipation. And uh, there is this great sense of expectation that uh, surrounds Jesus, yes, and the promise that he holds, first for the people of Israel, and then, and then for the world. 
And so when it comes to uh, preaching or talking about the, uh, the baptism, you know, there are many um, temptations and there are many, I think, ways to perhaps get diverted from what's most essential or most important. And very often folks want to know, well, wait a minute, what's the difference between John's baptism and the baptism of Jesus? Or even the bigger question, why was Jesus being baptized in the first place? If this is about repentance and judgment and the forgiveness of sins. And then you get smaller questions, which really do kind of worry people a lot. Um, how was Jesus baptized? And where was Jesus baptized? And was there some disagreement between, uh, between John and Jesus? And all of those are good questions. But I think, especially if we consider the need, yes, of our, the, you might say, the, the challenges that we have to face today, that uh, there's something in the text that uh, speaks to the human condition and speaks really to the obsession, yes, of identity, yes, that we face today in you know, most of the Western world. And um, that is the, um, it's my intention this morning just to say a few words, really a few words about uh, what, this, what the baptism of Jesus teaches us first and foremost about Jesus, but also teaches us really uh, about ourselves and the place that we find ourselves uh, in at the moment. And so the, really the, um, the beginning, I think, of, of all this, or the, uh, the, maybe the center of all this, really, uh, we should really focus on the voice, yes? This voice that, uh, that comes from heaven. And maybe you've heard me say this before, but uh, certainly every year it intrigues me, yes, that as God spoke to his son through scripture, yes, that uh, on one hand he's affirming Jesus, on the other hand he's encouraging Jesus, on the other hand he's giving him guidance and direction. But the voice, you are my son, which is a phrase from Psalm 2, verse 7, in whom I'm well pleased, which comes from Isaiah 42. That was our first reading. It always intrigues me um, and encourages me that God says to his son, I'm well pleased with you, and he hasn't done a thing. He hasn't done a miracle. He hasn't um, given a teaching. He hasn't performed an exorcism. He hasn't gone to the cross. Jesus has done nothing to earn, you might say. He's done no he hasn't had to perform. 
there aren't even 30,000 denominations, you know, called after his name. There, no one has, not one person has written 15 or 20 million books about him. And yet God says, you know, in you or with you, I am well pleased. No earning, no effort, sheer grace. Or is that completely true? Because maybe it's a paradox. And the paradox is, on one hand, God was indeed pleased with his son. And by calling him a son, of course, it's defining that, that intimate relationship between a father and a son. But on the other hand, maybe the father is well pleased with Jesus because for 30 years, Jesus has waited patiently. He's lived quietly. He's submitted himself to his mother and father. He obviously lived a life of discipline and study. He worked with his hands. And only at the right time does he go to John to be baptized. And maybe when the father says to his son, I'm well pleased, he's saying, I'm well pleased with your obedience. I'm well pleased with your obedience. Yes, the way that you have lived and conducted yourself actually pleases me. And I think what's, I, I think what's really important is that for a moment, we just look at that voice. Because in this passage that we read, Isaiah 42, we have a, um, not only a description of the relationship, but actually a description of who Jesus is. It says, here is my servant whom I uphold my chosen one in whom I delight. And the first thing that we encounter that Jesus is a servant. And what's key to sonship, what's key to this, you might say, this very, very intimate and familiar relationship is going to be obedience. I remember when we were, Carol can testify, we were, in the Jesus movement, so to speak, or at the tail end of the Jesus movement. And uh, the Jesus movement turned somewhat into the whole, you know, prosperity. God loves you and he's, he has a unlimited account in an ATM machine. And all you have to do is say the right words and withdraw the money. And uh, you're a king's kid. And it is certainly true, we are children of the king. But nobody stressed the connection, yes, between uh, that relationship of sonship or adoption and obedience or servanthood. And so the Lord is well pleased, but he's well pleased with who? His son, in whom he is, um, and he's a servant. Yes. So that's, 
you know, that's certainly the, that's the, 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 the first is, is certainly something that is uh, paradoxical. And it's based on, um, based on this relationship. And the Lord has given him, God has given him this, um, this divine task. It's on behalf of Israel. It's on behalf of the nations. And that is the identity. Yes, that is the identity in which Jesus lives into. Yes, God has given his son an identity. A part of the identity is the mission, is the task, but he has then given him the spirit, right, for prophetic ministry. He's being empowered, yes, to live into that identity. And I think what's so crucial uh, for us today is because we live in a culture and in a, and, a, and in a society that is obsessed with identity, 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 identity. And the way that we're going about, quote unquote, constructing identity, yes, is bringing about a spiritual, yes, social, cultural, and political disaster. Because this is a question that goes back to the garden itself. It's a question about uh, that uh, Adam and Eve have to face. Yes, who am I? What is my relationship with God? You know, am I allowed to be God and to control the creation? Or, I am, or are we someone who's made in God's image? whose goal, you might say, whose purpose is to glorify God and not to necessarily seek personal, personal fulfillment. And so in every age, we have an, there's, always, there's always an issue with identity. Yes, who are, who are we and why are we here? And very often, especially as Christians, uh, we have, in the past, we've had many challenges. The challenges are well known to all of us. Are we first and foremost a member of a certain family or a certain you know, uh, family culture? And Christians second? What about are we members of a tribe or an ethnic group? First and foremost, or are we first and foremost follow? I won't even say followers of Jesus. Are we first and foremost human beings made in God's image? Yes. Who are followers of Jesus? What about our class? Are we first and foremost members of a certain social economic class, certain social economic group with a certain education? or lack of education, or are we first and foremost followers of Jesus? Or what about our politics? Whatever it may be. Now that's always been a human dilemma. It's nothing new. But now we have something that's been added, perhaps in, in the last few decades. Yes. And what's new in all this 
is that now we have so many options and so many choices. And we're told that we have to construct or create for ourselves an identity. We have to be unique and different and can't be repressed or told by somebody else who we are or what we should do in this world. Yes. So you think of the average 12-year-old, yes, who spends most of his or her life on a computer. And this 12-year-old is now, according to the standards or the expectations of our culture, they are expected to choose their gender. Yes, they're expected to choose their politics. They're expected to uh, choose perhaps their, maybe their career, to find meaning. They have to find their own authenticity. And the 12-year-old, yes, has very little authority because our culture has taken away the authority of scripture and it's taken away the authority of tradition, uh, belief in God, the importance of uh, institutions. The 12-year-old has very little life experience. Yes, probably doesn't live in a community probably lives most of the time online. And this kid is supposed to is supposed to say come up with hey, this is who I am and this is what authenticity means. I am creating or constructing my own identity. I'm going to tell you who I am. It might change in a few years, but in the meantime you're not allowed to challenge me. Yes, you're not allowed to tell me who I am. I have to tell you Yeah, Uh, who I am. Yes, that's the lie and the delusion of our age. And that lie seeps into the church. And we as Christians, yes, we need to hear the voice of God. Yes, the voice that, that God spoke to his son at the baptism And we need to hear that voice, you know, for ourselves. And we need to hear that voice over and over and over again. Yes, so we can be very clear, yes, about who we are. And that we can be very clear about our identity. And what does that voice say? The voice says, my beloved. And you might think, well, he's speaking to Jesus. He's not speaking to me, you know, my beloved son. But can I remind you, yeah, of how many times, yes, in the Bible, the New Testament, are we told, yes, that we've been adopted and that we're sons? Written them down somewhere. Yes. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Romans 8, we haven't received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, 
but we have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies that we are children of God. Yes. John, the famous John 1, 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called children of God, children of God, and such we are. And there are dozens and dozens of verses which have confirmed this. So that what it means coming to Jesus, yes, receiving him, submitting to him, making him Lord, yes, is that we're adopted into a family and we're adopted into a community, God's family. And so the voice of God at the, at the baptism, yes, talking about uh, sonship or being children of God, yes, certainly includes us. And someone might say, oh, that's just in the epistles. But Jesus himself teaches us to pray, our Father. Yes, our Father. Yes, we are the, his children. He is our Father. Of course, some of us maybe have issues believing that or accepting that. Or we might have a blockage that doesn't allow us to, to fully live into that. And to be beloved. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, God loves us. Yes. Can we wrap our heads around such an awesome concept? God loves us. And we don't have to earn it. God loves us. And we don't have to perform. God loves us, and we don't have to, you know, pray 500 times a day. Yes. Remember, again, 1 John says, yes, we love him because he first loved us. Or God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent. That's the voice that we need to hear over and over and over again. But then it says, with whom, with, with whom I'm well pleased. And so here we come to the paradox. The paradox, I think, that we see it with Jesus at baptism and the paradox that we ourselves face. Because indeed, God loves us. And we don't have to perform or earn or do anything, yes, to deserve that love. But at the same time, whether it's the Hebrew Bible or the New Testament, it talks about pleasing the Lord. It talks about pleasing the Lord. And the Lord is well pleased with us, but our response has to be one of pleasing the Lord. May I remind you of a few verses? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For, who would ever, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Yes, and then it goes on to say, but Enoch was taken up. He didn't see death because God had taken him. 
Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. As Ephesians 5.10 says, Don't live as children of darkness. Live as children of the light. And try to discern, because it does take an effort, what is pleasing to the Lord. Yes. In Ephesians, at the end of Ephesians, it says, you know, don't be people pleasers, but servants, servants of the Messiah, doing the will of God from the heart. Paul, when he receives a gift, a generous gift from uh, the church in Philippi, he says, uh, he says, I'm well supplied. I've received the gifts you sent. And he says, your gift is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Yes. Paul says to Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. It's maybe a foreign concept to us, but do we ever think, are we living lives that please the Lord? Now, you're not earning something. You're not trying to deserve something. But it is the appropriate response, yes, to a God who loves us. Yes. Sonship, our sonship, is intimately tied and connected to obedience. Right? Just as the sonship of Jesus was. I, in a few weeks, we'll read the story of the temptation in which the devil comes to Jesus saying, so you're the son of God, aren't you? Well, do this and do that. And Jesus says, no, I'm not doing any such thing. Yes, again, Jesus being the son, being the servant who ultimately will suffer and die is one, yes, who walks in obedience. So just as Jesus got his identity, was given to him by the voice of God, I think, too, our identity can only come from God and that we need to hear that voice really on a regular basis. And we need to work and make sure that we have an identity, a biblical identity, a godly identity, not an artificial one that we construct for ourselves, taking a little bit here and a little bit there and, you know, making up, making up some kind of a salad. And so what do we do? Yes, how, how do we hear that voice? How, is it, how do we hear the voice in such a way that it stops us from telling lies to ourselves or deceiving ourselves. Well, you know, God, I'm not really ever good enough for God or God doesn't love me or God doesn't really expect me to, to walk in holiness because he knows I'm just a sinner saved by grace and I'm going to fall on my face time after time. Yes. Or how do we ensure that the, the culture, the spirit of the age, the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, doesn't kind of seep in. Yes, we do so, again, by practicing the Lord's presence 
and listening to the voice. We hear that voice when we study the scripture. Yes, how does God speak to Jesus? God doesn't tell him a joke or something. God speaks to him through the biblical text. Yes, through the word, God's word is even guides and directs, instructs, encourages Jesus himself. That's first and foremost. But we also, yes, we get an identity. Yes, or we strengthen that God-given identity. Worship. Yes, Psalm 29 that Rosemary read for us. Yes, God, we worship God in awe and majesty. Yes, when we have a sense of wonder or a sense of awe before God, yes, and meditate on his love or meditate, yes, on who he is, it drowns out or pushes away all the noise that comes at us 24-7, which tells us something else. Yes, we always get an identity in a community. Yes, being in the body of Christ, being together. Yes, fellowshipping together. And here I have to offer and just give a little bit of a warning because sometimes we in the church can misappropriate Yes, this uh, understanding of identity. And we soon want everyone to be a clone that's just like us. You have to talk like me, walk like me, wear the same kind of clothes I do, have the exact same theology as I do. Yes, you have to um, vote like me and eat like me. And if you don't, you can't be in my group. We're going to put you outside of our community. You know, having a godly identity, yes, being made in the image of God and being a follower of Jesus does not turn us into clones, yes, or does not destroy our human uniqueness. And that needs to be respected in any Christian community, in any relationship that we have, in marriage, in ministry, at work, yes. Our human, uh, the, the people that God has made us to be, yes, we need to treat each other with dignity. I think that's really important. So again, Bible study, worship, community, um, imitation, Yes, some t- we learn faster and sometimes more, you might say, successfully, not by hearing a sermon on identity, but watching someone we know, watching someone we know who has, you know, a very, very strong sense of what it means to be the Lord's follower and that the loyalty to, to God and to a son, yes, is first and foremost. That's the kind of person you can ask, who are you? And they won't think about it. And immediately they'll say, I'm made, I'm, a, I'm made in God's image. Yes, and I'm a follower of Jesus. And the goal of my life is holiness. Yes, 
The goal of life is not, yes, personal happiness and self-satisfaction. Hold, hold on one minute. Yeah, yes, you can, we can. That's not the goal of life. In the pursuit of holiness, in the pursuit of pleasing the Lord, we find satisfaction and we find joy. Yes, but you'll never find joy or happiness or meaning or authenticity if you make those things the goal, right? And that's the problem with the world today. It's all about identity, identity, identity. And people are more miserable and more confused than ever before. Are they not? Identity isn't a goal, right? Identity always yeah, leads to something else. Yes, Ava. But yeah, but if that's our, if being Greek Orthodox or being a Syrian or, or being a Muslim or what, being, you know, secular, that's your, our primary identity, then we have a problem. We have a serious problem. If you're, if the way that we define ourselves is according to our sexuality, that's a, that's a major problem. Is it not? So it's a huge distortion. It may, it may or may not be sin, but it's also simply, it's just simply a distortion. Look, at the, end of the, at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, you know, most people aren't theologians. They don't think very deeply about these issues. They're, they're um, you know, a little bit fuzzy, and this might seem overly intellectual or overly complicated, but let's make it very basic and very simple. You know, we are what we love. Yes, we are what we do. We are what we worship. Yes, and if we love the Lord and want to please him, yes, as in response to what he's done for us, that's going to produce, yes, that's going to produce an identity. As if we do what he's asked us to do, if we're empowered by his spirit, not to simply think all day long about who we are, yes, but what, the, what are those things that he's called us to do, yes. In the doing, we will yes, strengthen that identity. And finally, what we worship, what we worship, or what's important to us, really, what's central to our lives, again, creates identity. It's that simple. It's that simple. We need to be very careful that uh, we ourselves don't have an identity crisis, and we do not let the, our brokenness or the culture in which we live steal that identity. Instead, again, my appeal to each one of us is that we strengthen it and that we're intentional, yes, about uh, doing such, um, that we take those steps uh, in our lives. As I said, with prayer, Jesus begins, how, where does, how does Jesus hear the voice when he's praying? Yes, Jesus is, comes with the people, so he's in, a, he's, in a, he's in community. Yes, the voice speaks to Jesus through the scripture. Yes, all of those things, yes, are essential for us yes, so that uh, 
we will not be confused, nor will we be um, uh, led astray in the times in which we live. So, Father, we do commit ourselves to you, and we pray that your voice, which thunders throughout the, the universe, or which speaks to us in a very quiet way, will indeed, Lord, resonate in the hearts of each one of us. We pray that we'll be receptive enough, quiet enough, patient enough, diligent enough to hear that voice. And Lord, we pray that uh, we will hear you say to us, yes, you are, we are your beloved, and with us you are well pleased. And we do ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.